0: If you have the same vision as International Horse College, which is to have a world where people safely appreciate, respect and enjoy their horses, and the horses appreciate, respect and enjoy their people, then have a look at their website, internationalhorsecollege.com, registered training organisation 31352. Now we've got a regular guest back again, Brendan Bergen. How are you today, Brendan?
1: Yeah, pretty good. Pretty good. Good. Um, Good. I'm going off to do a, uh, an eight k run this morning, um, and just yeah, just develop a bit of fitness. So um, thankfully, Glenis was able to talk to me a bit earlier, so um, <laughs> so I can actually get to the thing because I'd be in trouble otherwise.
0: Okay, good, good. Look, today we're going to talk about ways to develop acceptance and throughness. Why have you chosen that particular area?
1: I try to think of the the words. I, I'm always I, I'm always think it's really important to think of what the words mean. So. Um, i I avoid words like on the bit or submission because mm-hmm. I think they're the wrong idea whereas when I think of acceptance, I feel it's it's like you're you're saying the horse is understanding and following directions and when I think of throughness I think of it as all of the energy coming through from behind and flowing through to the front end because again words like engagement and stuff like that I think I think we get very jargony and mm-hmm. In our terminology and I think when you use jargon it's not helpful another example is the word half alt if you ask five different people what half alt means you'll probably get 20 different answers so um, I try to avoid the jargon so that's why I use the words acceptance because what I say to the kids is if I give you 50 euro uh, and you take it that's what acceptance means the horse is picking up what you're giving them Mm -hmm. you know so I just think I think it would it would be good to clarify what that all means. That's what I think.
0: Yes, yes, yes. I can remember I was waiting to ride in an indoor school once and um, I heard a lesson going on in there. And the person, I didn't know the person giving the lesson, you know, and I was listening and I, I thought, wow, they're really good. They're really just some of the terminology they were using, they were encouraging. I must have a pop over the, you know, the door there and <laughs> pop my head in and see who this person is that was teaching. And I looked over the door and the horse was all strung out and head in the like crooked and resistant and wasn't very good at all. But it was a very good lesson that she was teaching, but she was using the terminology all wrong, you know, with the wrong horse and, and just wasn't really getting anywhere at all. She'd obviously heard yeah. a few lessons and thought that she had an understanding, but between what she was saying and what was going on with the horse just didn't match at all. Yeah.
1: I think like I think coaches have to be really comfortable in their own skin to go, mm. right, I can actually strip this back and and go back to basics and, and really keep it simple and straightforward. Because it's it's when you look at any of the top people, like if you if you talk to Andrew, mm. Andrew always talks about things like speed and direction rather than talking about, you know rhythm or bend or things like that. Like, obviously, he does talk about it in his coaching and in his training, but he, Andrew always talks about, like, you know, what I always think of as, like, riding your bike. When you ride your bike, you go in a speed, in a direction. Horses are absolutely no different. Yep. And I've watched so many top trainers, and they're, they're, anyone who's really at the top mm. is doing that. Mm-hmm. And that I, I always think that's where we should all be looking, to the top people doing what they do and seeing why it is that it works you know? So that's my thinking. Yeah.
0: The more you learn, the more you realise that you don't learn. You know, the the more you realise you don't know, you've just got to keep learning, I think. Yeah. Exactly. Now, the first thing you've got here is to have a good frame of reference to evaluate your training. Is that pretty much what we've been saying about the frame of reference?
1: Yeah. Like anyone who've listened to any of my chats knows that every time I come on, I always talk about constants, variables, um, the equitation science framework of training and the German scale of training. Because if you have those, and I'll just list them through. So the constants, they come from William Mickam. Acceptance, calmness, forwardness, straightness, and purity. The variables, so things that change, direction, speed, impulsion, balance, and timing. Mm-hmm. Um, you go into the equitation science end of things and you go basic attempt, obedience, rhythm, straightness, contact, and proof. And then the German scale of training, which I feel is the most abstract, is rhythm, suppleness, contact, impulsion, straightness and collection. And I kind of think if you're thinking of those sort of four lists of words, it gives you a really good way of seeing where am I at? Where's the hole that I need to stitch? Yes. And if you can stitch those holes, then you'll automatically get better acceptance and throughness. It's Mm -hmm. just... It just stands to reason. It's like when when your car mechanic looks at your car, if there's a problem with your fuel pump, it doesn't matter how wonderful everything else is, there's no fuel getting to the injectors, which means the car won't go. So same way as if there's a problem with the alternator, you might be able to get through doing things a couple of times, but eventually the car won't start because it's not recharging the battery. Do you know Mm. what I mean? So it's exactly the same with training. You've got to be always looking at the different component parts and trying to strengthen the ones that are are weak and preserve the ones that are strong. And I just think that that's that's just my way of thinking about it. Mm
0: Mm-hmm and if you're thinking about where's the hole I need to stitch yeah I can see you seeing a problem and just going right that's that's what we're
1: working on exactly exactly
0: I like the way that you're saying and this sort of goes back to your I suppose frame of reference evaluating your training is ditch the tricks tell us the tricks what do we do
1: <sighs> okay um I suppose <laughs> tricks tricks and terminology for me come in like I hear lots of I, I was teaching pony club last night and I've heard lot I always have an ear out to see hear what other coaches are saying and doing because oftentimes you learn something. Sometimes you learn something that you want to pick up and do. Yeah. Other times you'll learn things and you'll go, geez, I'd never do that. <laughs> um and one thing you hear a lot for from a lot of words being said is ride from behind. Oh. And no one no one actually seems to understand what that means, or a few seem to understand what that means. Usually it ends up or ride right from leg to hand, there ends up this wrestle where they're just wrestling the front end and it, and it's, it's sort of silly nonsense. and you know they do things like there's a, a term that's used over here called "click the neck," where basically what you do is you, you halt the horse and you strongly bend the horse to the left and you strongly bend the horse to the right and you keep doing that until the horse puts their head down. And to me, all that is, is sawing. And great, you've got the neck down, but now you've got lead in your hand. And that's what I mean when I I say ditch the tricks. You know, people do things like that. And when that's not working, they reach out and they get the draw reins. And don't get me wrong, there is a place occasionally for draw reins. So sometimes you'll have a horse that's really inverted. And you'll put draw reins on for five minutes at the start of a session to say, this is the way your neck needs to go because that's where the hole is, the head is up in the air. But it shouldn't be a general practice that we go and we get draw reins, or a bungee, or a pasoa or whatever. If your training is rigorous enough, you don't need those sort of tricks. You use exercises. So if you've got a horse that's inverted, things like shoulder in and leg yield, where you focus on moving the middle, which I'll talk about later, will usually negate the need for tricks. Tricks are the kind of thing that I, I think are used by people who have a little bit limited understanding, and it's the only way they can get anything like the result. And the usual result they're going for is putting the head down, because mm. the head down, the horse must be on the bit.
0: Yep, But
1: that's nonsense. Absolute nonsense.
0: I'm a bit worried when you said about click the neck. I thought, oh, I need a chiropractor. Yeah. I'm glad you explained yeah. it. it. um yeah, but fair.
1: sometimes, like, if the horse is really resistant because it doesn't understand, you will hear nearly a cavitation. And if you're hearing cavitations by your manual rain manipulations, how much pressure are you using? <laughs> and mm. the pressure is going to be pretty relentless to make a cavitation happen. Do you know what I mean? Like, an, I see it a lot um, over here. And it's just, I think it's just limited understanding.
0: Yep, yep, yep. So about understanding, that you've got a point here about making sure the horse has got clarity and understanding. How can we judge that? You know, we can say, oh, the horse understands what I mean. But yeah. but really, how do we really know that the horse has got this clarity and understanding?
1: Okay, well, I suppose one of the things that I always think of is if you set up, and again, I listened to um, Angelo Teltan's, um chat there recently. Yep. And what Angelo says, and I think it's really smart, is Horses are really quick learners. Mm-hmm. So if you do something three times and by the third time the horse hasn't got it, you're doing something wrong. <laughs> do yep. you know what I mean? So yep. when I teach, well, again, I suppose it's a little bit lazy instructor syndrome. I, I, have, a, I have a theme. So, for example, two weeks ago we were doing um, shallow loops. Um, and for those of you who don't know what a shallow loop is, you come through the corner, deep into the corner, You curve out about five meters, sort of near E or B, and then you curve back to the corner. And the whole idea of a shallow loop is you train the horse to come deep into the corner, you control the shoulders, you come through your loop, and you return to the corner. And usually, um, even with naive or young horses, when you start to do shallow loops, they get the idea really quickly if you just think of piloting the shoulders. and. After doing two long sides or three long sides, the horse should get it. And that way you know it, know that they've got it. And it means the horse is sort of buying what you're selling. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really important, especially with young horses, that they buy into what's happening. And if they're buying into what's happening, you just see this this progressive thinking and nearly the light switches on. Do you know that kind of way? And I suppose I find it very obvious to see when a horse is getting it and then Other times you can see when a horse is confused and if they're confused, you've got to take a step back. So like with the shallow loop exercise, sometimes you'll have to do a 10 meter circle in the corner to get the first bend and then a 10 meter circle in the last corner to help get them get them bending correctly. And that's sort of a it's all about progressive steps and going, yeah, this is the exercise I'm using, but what's the result that I'm trying to get out of it? And then the other thing I always think of is four rider responsibilities, which again, I go on and on and on about, I know, but the rider has four things to do. They have to look where they're going and have a plan about where they're going. They have to get the speed right. They have to get the direction right. And they've got to be in a good enough rider position and balance that they can communicate with the horse effectively. And nearly every single problem that comes up can be solved with one of those four things, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think that's that's what I mean when I say that the horse has to have clarity and understanding. For the horse to have clarity and understanding, the rider has to have clarity and understanding. And I think, and I, I was guilty of it, I had a lesson last week doing a bit of cross-country training, um, and I fell into the trap of, the trainer was talking, and I was thinking about my response, instead of, really listening to what they had to say and as a result i missed the message clocked something up came back and he had to say it again a little bit more forcefully and then i got the picture so it's really important that we have our ears open to what the trainer's saying and remember we're paying them the money to tell us what to think and help us to think in the right way not so that we can look smart yep I learned this a long time ago and I'm still learning it. Communication is really a very two-way street. Mm. Like even between you and me there, you're trying to puzzle out what I'm saying to you about what happened. Yep. And it's not straightforward. To me, what I said to you is really straightforward. But for you, you've had to think about it, process it, Mm. and then probably in 10 minutes time, you'll be there going, (laughs) oh, now I get it. Do you know what I mean? But your lesson, a lesson is usually about 45 minutes an hour. Mm. And some of the stuff we're doing is is complicated or, or, or needs a bit of thinking. And if you're not giving your full attention or listening, then you've got a problem. Same as if the horse isn't giving their full attention or listening, mm-hmm. then you've got a problem. So it's mm-hmm. it's it's about keeping it simple and straightforward as much yeah, as possible. Yeah.
0: I think what I was gonna say about your instructor, your instructor's really there not telling you what to do, but telling you how to think about what you're doing.
1: Yeah. Exactly. It's, it's CBT. You know, it's cognitive behavioral therapy, yes. basically, is what we're doing every time we teach. Yeah. Changing the way people think. Because yeah. there's lots of instructors out there or coaches who, who are riding the horse through the, the person. Yeah. And there is a time for that, you know, bend them left, move them left, use your right leg, use your left leg. But in the end of the day, that's the same as having a remote control human.
0: Mm, and mm.
1: that's not what you're trying to do in the end what we want to do is you as a coach want to become a redundant member of the team Mm -hmm. because your coaching has been so good that the person is thinking the right way
0: yep 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 all right now just going on and I know you talked a little bit earlier and, and said well we'll come back to moving the middle but let's talk first of all about moving the shoulders and it's all right to say how to put the shoulders you know put the shoulders where you want them but how do we put the shoulders where we want them
1: Okay, so the first the first thing to to think of with the shoulders is is the way that the anatomy works of the horse. So the shoulder, we have a collarbone, um, so our shoulders are directly attached to our skeleton, whereas with horses, that's not the case. They sit in this ligament muscle sling, which means that a horse's shoulders are much more prone to twisting and getting crooked than our shoulders are. And when you start working with young horses, we nearly always do it in an arena to start with, um, or, or or stable or whatever. But they 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 get their shoulders stuck onto the fence, um, and when they get their shoulders stuck onto the fence, their quarters then push towards the centre of the arena a bit, and it means that. You you start the horse off and they're crooked. When I worked for um, John in Australia, what John used to do is we used to get them all going. John McLean, mm-hmm. we used to get them all going in the in the stable. Then they go to the round pen. Then we do a little bit in the arena, and then off we go hacking. That's all they would do for their first four weeks, so they would learn to keep straight and go. Because when you go round and round and round in circles with the the best will in the world, your um, you're never, never going to get them straight. <laughs> yeah. yeah <laughs> you know, it, it yeah. makes it much more complicated. Mm. Like, I read a very funny thing on, on Facebook there um, last week. It, said, it was like about um, equestrians. We are the only people who see the idea of we'll build a rectangular arena <laughs> and spend our whole lives going round and round and round in yeah, circles perfecting. in this rectangular arena. It's ridiculous. Mm. Anyway, so... Anyway, to get back a little bit on point. I,
0: th- I think it was a rectangular sand pit, wasn't it? I think I saw that one, yeah, a rectangular, rectangular sandpit sand sand. and, and then go in there and try and perfect the circle.
1: Mm. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I just thought, it's, actually, it's so true. We're, we're farcical. Anyway, yeah. um, I have a lot of time for what William Micklem has to say. And what William Micklem says is, if you want to ride a horse straight in an arena with a fence, you basically have to ride the horse in permanent shoulder four which is basically where you just move the front end, if you like, the the inside front leg, near, about a hoof print inside the inside hind leg. And that way the horse is actually supporting themselves rather than supporting off the fence. Does that make sense?
0: Yes. And I'm actually thinking about something that brought home to me is looking down on a horse, you can see – how small the shoulders are and how big the belly is. You know, the belly in the, the, the middle of the horse? And, Absolutely. And I think once, you, yeah, to to understand that, you, you sort of think, well, why does the horse have the quarters in? But to me, I remember looking down at a horse and that really made sense. So as you're explaining this to me, I'm looking down and I can see what you're talking about.
1: Yeah. And the final thing to say about the shoulders is if you can control the shoulders, then you control about I reckon about 70% of the horse to, mm-hmm. to pretty much the back of the rib cage. Because the rib cage doesn't have much choice but to follow the shoulders. So if you can control the shoulders and keep the neck straight, suddenly you can you can control the direction completely. So I think it you should take a lot of time to develop, you know, the basic response to turn by teaching the horse to step sideways. Again, back, coming back to what Andrew says. When you open your left hand, the horse's left front leg should step to the left. That's exactly the same as moving the shoulders. But but lots of people get obsessed with the idea of bending the horse rather than turning the horse. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. my thoughts anyway. Yep. Yep. Yep.
0: Stop. I need to interrupt this chat for a hot off the press notification. That is that the latest version of the book, 101 Careers in the Horse Industry is now available and the best news is that it's a free download so if you work in the horse industry if you have a plan to work in the horse industry and have a career in the horse industry or if you know someone who plans to have a career in this fabulous industry then this is an essential book for you to read now and then keep as a reference as you progress through your career with over 100 jobs to choose from you'll probably find at least one that you'd happily do without being paid so simply go to internationalhorsecollege.com, scroll down to the bottom of the page and click on the 101 careers in the horse industry button to receive your free career book. Imagine, maybe one day you could be a guest on Horse Chats. All right, now training the horse to move his middle. At what can we do about that?
1: Okay, so I always think of the middle of the horse is, is one of the things that is vastly undertrained. Mm-hmm. If you look at athletes, and if you look at if you if I take me for example, I'm I'm no athlete, but um,
0: even though you're going on a five k run, eight k run uh, soon, eight k run. I'm, I'm no <laughs> athlete. I, I I
1: run I run to improve my riding. I swim to improve my riding. I do a martial art to improve my riding. It's all effectively to develop my core strength and my cardiovascular fitness
0: mm-hmm.
1: and very rarely do you hear anyone talk about the horse's core strength. What you hear people talk about all the time is top line, top line, top line, top line, top line, top line, top line. But top line is only as good as the bottom line. So um, I always think of, rather than thinking about the horse stretching his top line, I try to think of the horse as using his core muscles. And when I say core muscles, I mean effectively his whole belly muscles. So one of the exercises I do with young horses, and again, people are going to go, oh my God, you put bucking straps on them, but I don't. I get a tail bandage and I attack the tail bandage onto the top of the lunging roller, the D-ring of the saddle, put it underneath the belly and then back up to the top. And then I, and I start it as far back on the belly as I can. I lunge the horse and I just keep moving it forward about every two to three minutes and what you see happen when you do that is the horse's tummy muscles start to work. Then the hind leg starts to step under and the back starts to lift. Because I think it's really important that the horse's tummy can move up and out of the way. Because, like you said earlier, the horse's belly is so big, it's got to move out of the way of the hind leg and allow it to move. Yep. yep. So
0: just so, now that tail bandage, you said it goes from the roller.
1: Under the horse, under yep, underneath the belly yep, and then up to the top of the roller. Okay, and it, it sort of hugs the belly and makes it makes the horse think. So if you've ever had kinesiology tape on or um, used any of those resistance bands or something like that in the gym or whatever, that's effectively what that tail bandage is doing. It's it's sort of it's not actually physically doing anything other than bring the horse's brain to that point of their anatomy. So they go, ooh, that feels a bit interesting. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to tuck my tummy a bit away from that. Okay. But it's, it's the kind of thing, I wouldn't go and do it without the help of someone who sort of knows what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Because if you put that on too tight or in, in the wrong place, what you'll do is you'll cause a strong buck response. Mm. And once the horse has started expressing buck response, practice makes permanent. So then suddenly you have a horse that goes, do you know what? I don't like that, I'm gonna buck you off.
0: Mm, mm. And
1: that's not the the look we're going for.
0: Okay.
1: Um okay. some horses have naturally very strong cores and use their cores very well, but more often than not, when we put a big ploppy rider sitting in the middle of of the of the two pillars of sport, the hind legs and the front legs, you get a big slack tummy, and it never gets developed.
0: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
1: Pole work is another thing that can be used to help develop the middle. There's loads and loads of different ways to target. That's just the way I do it. I use tail bandages, I use pole work. You know, I walk horses over poles and different things like that to try and just get them to think about their middle.
0: Okay, good, good. And what about the hind legs? How can we allow room for the hind leg then to travel?
1: Um, Again, um, I'm drawn to, I don't know if you've heard of a guy called Christoph Hess. He's a yes. German dressage trainer and mm-hmm. he's the president of the, the International Group for Equestrian Qualifications at the moment. Yep. And he's hugely into the idea that horses should move forward unrestricted. So what he says is when you when you go to kick the horse or ride the horse forward, it should be effectively on loose reins and let the horse move. Because then the hind leg can travel. Because if you pay close attention to watching people ride, every time you put your leg on, your hand should give a little bit. Because if you hold when you put the leg on, you restrict how far the hind leg can move. I had the uh, chiropractor out to my horse, um, I think it was two weeks, two, about two weeks ago. And he was telling me about, we were talking about the tongue and the hyoid apparatus, which is the, what attaches the tongue yep. basically into the skull. And he said that like you see with horses that ha- are being restricted that the tongue gets tight. Once the tongue gets tight, it restricts the whole movement all the way through the through the atlas and the axis, all the way back into the hind leg. So you have to let the horse just move forward with a receiving hand. And a receiving and restrictive. They're two words that start with the same letter, but they mean such different things. But lots of people think receiving is this tug of war thing that's going on. And it just isn't.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I like the way you said receiving, not restricting. Yeah. Yeah. Just thinking about Christoph. I was actually at the meeting when he got voted president. Yeah, I was one of the people that voted him.
1: Yeah. he's a brilliant guy yeah. and he's again he's one of these guys that he, he he's one who really keeps it really simple yep. like i was at, at a, a convention recently and he was one of the demo speakers and he was mm-hmm. doing sort of riding club level riders and what he said is the first thing we all have to learn to do is we all have to learn how to make the horse go forward and he said i don't want to see squeezing Mm-hmm. If you can see squeezing, it's no longer squeezing. So you give a light squeeze if the horse doesn't respond, you kick, you know. Yep. And yep. that way the horse learns to respond off light aids. So you go mm-hmm. squeeze, kick, 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 kick. And the other mm-hmm. thing he said, which was interesting, and I'm not sure I agree with it or not, but it's hard to disagree with Christoph because he's just brilliant, <laughs> um, is if you're going to use the stick, don't use it behind your leg. Okay. <laughs> Tap the horse on the shoulder. Because... What he said is, the horse is too sensitive back there. So use it on the shoulder where they're less sensitive. So look, I don't know whether I agree with him or not, but it's a good idea to be aware of going, they're sensitive there, we've got to be sensitive there.
0: I think the problem with using the whip, you know, on the shoulder in front of the saddle is that, you know, sometimes, and, and I don't know how they've learned it, but, you know, occasionally you get the horse that you give them a bit of a tap in front of the saddle and they just drop out sideways they sort of drop and spin around backwards to get away exactly from like that. you know at least if it's behind the saddle it's a forward movement yeah
1: mm. it's just it was just interesting that it, it was more interesting that he he doesn't want you to use a whip behind the saddle mm. because the horse is too sensitive there he'd much rather he said i want you to pony club kick them because mm, mm. you give them a squeeze and give them a pony club kick and you get you get a more forward free result movement. yep yep exactly yep, yeah
0: all right, now next one, make your horse wait. And this is yeah, W-A-I-T. Sound, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, W-A-I-T, yeah, W-A-I-T, so waiting, yep. Yeah,
1: it's, it's going to sound like a, a, a total paradox after me saying, you know, pony club kick them forward, let them move. But anyway. Um,
0: <laughs> I think that's it. You know, we talk about timing and there's a time for it, isn't there? You know, there's a time to maybe yeah, exactly. do the pony club kick and send them forward and maybe there's a time to wait. But that's all part of the whole horsemanship riddle, isn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah well, like that's it. And that's exactly what it is. is it, it's a it's a riddle. So there's sort of two schools of thought when it comes to the training of young horses and horses in general. The first school is what, what would be called the German school. And the idea of the German school is the horse goes forward, 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 and then learns balance. And then there's the French school where the horse learns to balance and then go forward. Now, both go to the same result. And I'm not saying either is right or either is wrong, but I always lean more towards the French school. So what I I think of, and again a lot of this came from John and Andrew, is that when you teach your horse to trot first, for example, what you actually want them to do is trot in a listening way. So they start trotting and they're they're listening, going, what do you want next? Not I'm going forward, I'm going forward, I'm going forward, I'm going forward, I'm going forward. because I'm always thinking to myself, especially with young horses, I want to know that I can stop them at any moment. Mm. And we talked in one of my other chats about um, the waiting hind leg. As you're coming into a fence and you just sit up a little bit, what you want the horse to do is sit back with you so that you can both see where the stride is coming and then let the horse move forward, if you know what I mean. It's like a pause. And I I dread to say it, but like the word that comes to mind or could be used on this is half halt. And I talked about that earlier. To me, that's what half halt means. It's when you sort of just sit the balance back to ask the horse to wait and then let them go forward. It's like go, whoa, go is what I think of when I think half halt. And what you want is you want the horse to, when you sit back and say wait, that the horse stays with you and doesn't isn't just waiting to break out of it i was teaching a girl yesterday who i talked about actually in another chat and the horse has actually improved a lot and we were talking about gearing the canters we were doing show jump training and she has her first event of the season um this in two weeks okay so what we what we were doing is we were developing four canters for the horse for jumping one is what i call the dressage canter and the dressage canter is very slow, 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 taking it handy. You've got your 90 centimeter canter, which has a little bit more punch to it, but it's still very, very much at hand. You've got your meter five canter, which is where your horse is got very strong punch to it. And then you've got your meter 10 canter. And that's when your horse is really pushing into the ground and, you know, bouncing off the ground. And what I would want her to do, because what her horse does is, her horse charges at the fence and then chips in, which is really annoying because he's a really big horse and he can mm-hmm. really jump out of his stride. So what what I have her do is the horse, is, it, she has to ride him really forward in the meter 10 counter. And then as she's coming to the fence, maybe five or six strides out, she starts to sit up and ask him to come back to a meter five counter. Now, and I, I just use these terms because she's. She's out jumping in. She's going to do an EI 100, which is a, 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 the meter event, yep. pre one star. Mm-hmm. And um, what I want her to be able to do is to sit up before the fences, and then after the fences, to get the horse to sit into a dressage canter and then go forward again. So that we're always asking the horse to think about the speed and come back all the time, because he wants to plow forward.
0: Yep. Yep. Yep thinking and going back to, well, not not necessarily dressage, but say schooling, you know, we talk about. Yeah. And when you first start, particularly when, you know, I'm thinking in the UK and, and the cold weather, any country that's got the cold weather and you're riding in indoor schools and, you know, right from when you first get off the lunge, you're riding school figures. But now you're saying ride patterns of movement not just school figures so can you yeah. explain the difference you know what's a pattern of movement we all know what a school figure is but how does the school figure then become a pattern of movement or are they completely different
1: the, this is where i i suppose i i don't think people know how to ride school figures mm. because <laughs> and it's like we talked a little bit earlier about the shallow loop
0: you just keep going and between the witch's hats you know you do, yeah. yeah
1: yeah so uh We talked a little bit about shallow loops Mm, mm. and shallow loop is an exercise that has a purpose. The purpose of the shallow loop is to control the movement of the shoulders and to help the horse line their body up. That's what the the purpose of a shallow loop is. It's like um, a shoulder in. The purpose of the shoulder in is to stretch the outside of the horse's rib cage and thus bring the outside front leg in front of the inside front leg. Um, the purpose of a, of a travers is the same thing, but coming from the other end, to stretch the horse's rib cage around so that the um, outside hind leg can step underneath the horse towards the inside front leg. And what people do is they think of it as Move the shoulders, move the, the hindquarters. Whereas when what what I always think of is you got to think of the progressive steps towards those. So if you take the shoulder in, the first progressive step towards doing shoulder in is to try and get the horse to take a good step to the uh, step to the inside. Okay. So it comes back to those basic responses of turn. Um, the st- the steps towards getting like a good uh, figure of eight. Is to really think of the change of bend in the centre. The same with a, a say a three loop serpentine. The job is to get the horse's shoulders to change. Whereas you watch lots of people and they ride circle, 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 or they're on a figure of eight, but they're just right, they're just going to the motions. They're not going as I go through this figure of eight. The shoulders haven't shifted, so I'll keep going round as if I was going on my circle. And then when I feel the shoulders go that way, then I'll change them the other way. Do you understand what I mean? It's about feeling the movement happen. It's like leg yield is something that everyone says, oh, you use leg yields to increase the suppleness. But there's no point in doing leg yields until you can keep the horse's neck straight and control where the shoulders are going. Because you stand and you watch a leg yield. And what you see is the horse just falls to the shoulder. And we think sometimes as coaches, oh, you know, it gives the person the idea of the feeling. So we'll let them away with it now and then we'll fix it later when they have a bit more understanding. Whereas I don't believe in that. What I do with my, certainly my, the kids I teach is when we do leg yield, I put out about five poles on the lengthways in the, in the schools. So they mm-hmm. start at the first pole. And they have to get to the second pole. The second pole is about maybe, maybe max a meter towards the track or towards the center. And they have to, they're not allowed to go past the pole, if you know what I mean. So that it restricts them in how far they can go. Because you watch leg yield and the horse falls to the track. Whereas leg yield is an exercise in moving the horse over from the inside leg and receiving the horse into the outside leg so that the real skill in leg yield is get them to start moving and then get them to stop moving sideways. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is where I think it's the understanding of what the exercise means so that we can go for the feeling, not for the exercise. Because again, you watch coaches that, I'm going to be bold and say they're inexperienced, and they just shout, no more, more crossover, push him, fu- push him faster, move him over mm. when they talk about leg yields. And and they have the wrong idea. <laughs> They're looking at the uh, at the training from the wrong end of the telescope.
0: Yeah. yeah. So
1: yeah. I suppose that's what I mean when I say ride patterns of movement. And I suppose that comes from, from about March when the grass is dry. I don't see the inside of an arena with my horse except to do grid work. Mm-hmm. And that's because I'm lazy and don't want to have to hike all the show jumps out into the field. It's just because yeah. I'm lazy. Um but I ride in in my sort of five, six acre fields and I ride my circles and I ride my serpentines and I ride my shoulder ins and I ride my traverse and I do all that sort of stuff. But I do it unsupported by an arena fence. I do it in the middle of the field. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I have to then select for the right pattern of movement. Yep. Does that yep. make
0: sense? Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Thinking about having a riding session now yeah do we break it into phases is it just like warm-up work and then cool down or how do we break it into phases what type of phases do we need to break it into
1: okay well i i think of like if you go to the gym i i, I don't go to the gym i i do free stuff outside mm-hmm. but when i do when i do my free stuff outside you do think you do an exercise that's that warms you up so you do your warm-up whatever it is and with horses the warm-up is much more to do with mental warm-up than physical warm-up in my opinion because you got to just get them on site yep. because horses like i said before have evolved to run away from scary predators and they don't go hang on a second mr lion just let me stretch out my hamstrings and then i'll run away <laughs> from you they yep. just run yep so when when i when i do one of my workouts i do my my warm-up then after i do my warm-up i do certain number of exercises and the exercise are broken down with, into different body parts and further broken down into easy body. parts. So say you're doing core training, you do an easy core exercise, you do a more tricky core exercise, and then you do an easy core exercise. So I think it's really important when you um, when you're working your horse that you go, right, we're going to do do the warm-up, we're going to do something easy, we're going to do something more challenging, we're going to take a step back and do something easy. Because my wife used to train her dog for mountain rescue. Yep. Um, and mountain rescue with, with dogs, what you what you do with them is they they run, they find the body and they bark. And as the dog gets progressively more trained, the, the runs get more difficult, the bodies hide in a different way, they come into the the search fields at different angles and so the dog can't ground scent them. And what she used to do is she used to spend a lot of time coming back and doing a simple run where the person would be very easily hidden. Because the it gives the dog a chance to be more enthusiastic and it just keeps them in the way of thinking. Mm-hmm. The other thing is that in, in your sessions, if you have a problem, which we all often do. I had a trainer in the UK who I won't name. Um, and when things were going wrong... Um, with his horses, he was a dressage, pretty much a dressage rider. He would stop, drop the reins, dip into his pocket, take out the pouch of tobacco, take <laughs> out the skins, roll a cigarette, um, pack it all up, smoke the cigarette, and then start again. Because what he said is you know, if you keep fighting when you're having a problem, Mm. The problem usually doesn't get any worse because it leaves the gap for you to go, God, horse, you're just such a git, whack, 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 just cop on. And it's not the horse's fault that you haven't explained it right, Mm. you know, or that they're feeling tight somewhere or there's resistance somewhere. So I I always thought it was dreadful that he smoked, but it it was a great way of dealing with the problem. There's another trainer as well called Niall Quirk. And Al Quirk says, if you get on the horse and in 10 minutes you're fighting with it, put it back in the stable, go have a cup of tea, then come back and get on it. Now, it all sounds great in, when, I, when you say it here. In practice, it's hard to do because they're going, to, you know, I've got limited time to ride. Sure. So, yep. Yep. But sometimes you can do more damage by keeping going than you can by stopping. Mm-hmm. If there's nothing to be gained, there's no point in continuing.
0: No that makes a lot of sense. makes a lot of sense. you know, I'm thinking about sort of stopping for a smoke, which is not going to happen but but just stopping and <laughs> just you know taking a deep breath and yeah yeah, you yeah. can you
1: know like you can just drop the reins and and wander around for a minute mm-hmm. and then start, start again. again and yeah. i'm and, I, and I'm one of those people i I have to do that because i'm I'm a tense I'm a sort of a tense person when it's going wrong, I'm just like, just <laughs> would you come on, yeah, we did yep. this yesterday. And I have to take a minute and take a breath. And like my wife, my wife helps me a lot when, with, with riding, especially when things are going wrong. And think for me, when things go wrong, it's things going wrong, jumping. I've set out an exercise that I've done for the week with loads of people. And I'm like, yeah, I love this exercise. This is a real knacky little exercise. It's going to really help my horse. And my horse comes in and goes, I don't like your exercise. Mm-hmm. I'm going to put an extra stride in here and there. And I'm just bullying. So she makes me sing when you're happy and you know it. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> to, it's just anything that can change your mind and help you break the set, the session into segments that are productive. Yep. Productive units of time is really yep. important. Yep, yep.
0: Okay, okay. You're talking about, well, the horses right through this have been giving us feedback, but listening to the horse's feedback, what sort of feedback is the horse giving us that we should be listening to? You know, not yeah, speak it comes to back us in to,
1: English, yeah, absolutely. It comes back to what Angelo Angelo Tellerton says. Mm-hmm. If the horse isn't getting it after you're doing it three times, maybe you're explaining it wrong. um because they're such quick learners. and prey species are quick learners. It's when you think about it. if they make a mistake, they're dead. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Yeah. they have to be quick to figure it out so they can get on and get away. And it's when you think about it, negative reinforcement the release of pressure you know if we're releasing the pressure in the right time in the right way suddenly the horse will click into it so quick yeah. so um, things I see like shouldering and, and traver are two things I help people a lot with because I'm, I'm a little bit a, a coach of last resort <laughs> when they've gone to the grand bad trainer and it's still not working and they're, they're, they're jargon to death they come to me and I go and I, I help them with it's usually shoulder and travel to two things and collected canter There's sort of three things I get people coming to me a lot with Yep. with the shoulder in if the horse suddenly drops out of the trot or the trot becomes stuffy or whatever the horse is telling you you're giving me too much angle too fast okay collected canter when the horse goes clunk and falls out of the canter the horse is telling you your restri- your restrictive aids were too strong. Okay. So you've got to listen and go, right, okay, maybe today isn't the day for a full children. maybe today is for two or three steps and then on, two or three steps and then on or the collected canter. Maybe today's the day that we canter the horse deep into the corner. They do two or three collected steps and we medium off down the long side. Mm-hmm. Do you understand what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's just, yep. it's about reading the horse of today. Like, if you take today, I'm going for my 8K run. Yep. I was real stupid yesterday. And I went and did a 4K run to the yard to let horses out. And I decided, you know what? Today's going to be a fast day. I'm going to run really fast. So I, well, what I think is really fast. Anyway. So I ran really fast to the yard, did did the horses, and whatever, um, morning feeds and whatever. Then ran home, got ran home really fast. And now today I'm kind of a bit stiff and a bit sore because mm. um, I didn't listen to my body. I'm now going out to do an an 8K race. Yep. And sometimes we can be guilty of doing that. You work the horse, you work the horse, you work the horse, you work the horse. They're a bit sore the next day and you mistake the, the sore behavior for resistance. And yep. It's not really resistance. It's just, do you know what? I'm twinging a bit because you did 58 long sides of shoulder in yesterday and God, I don't want to do it today because it just feels sore. Mm. And I think listening to that feedback and going, okay, let's make it simpler. You don't have to go away from natural movement, but you might do something simple like a turn on the forehand or a turn on the haunches or a, a leg yield or something. It's all it's all about looking at things as a holistic training approach that we have all these tools in the toolbox, not that we have to do, always have to do the test movements in yep. the test movement way. Yep. So I suppose... I, I hope that was sort of helpful in, in getting the idea of acceptance and throughness and stuff, because it's, it's, it's not about getting the horse on the bit. It's about getting the horse to understand what we're asking them.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep. 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 And I like the way that you said about the holistic training approach as well. You know, it's not just one yeah. thing or the other. It's, it's everything. It's everything a, coming together. It's like
1: dressage horses. Every dressage horse should jump. <laughs> Do you know what yeah, mean? Cause yeah. otherwise, Going round and round in, in, in the rectangular sand pit, doing circle after circle, <laughs> gets really boring. At least if you put a few obstacles in the in the rectangular sand pit, it can help. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Yep. Yes, I mean, I'm, I'm an inventor, so I can certainly agree with you. I think there should be obstacles everywhere.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, well, me too. Yep, but uh, yep. dressage people sometimes don't see the importance.
0: <laughs> no, no. All right, look, Brendan... Thank you for again for for taking the time out and um, yeah enjoy your eight k run today. Hopefully you do very well. But um, after what you said you did yesterday, maybe maybe today is just the day to go out there and enjoy it. And...
1: Yeah, maybe maybe today I might learn something because you know <laughs> you know it was Wally ish to go and do that do fast running today when I'm racing tomorrow. But you sure, race it, yeah you know mm-hmm, Wally-ish, mm-hmm. But anyway yeah.
0: That's alright, we always have but we have winning days or character building days. I think they're all you know even winning days are character building days. So have a good character Absolutely. building day when you do your run.
1: Thanks very much, Dennis. <laughs> Talk to you soon. Bye for now. Okay. Bye-bye.
0: If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate, and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through HorseChats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com.